0: Thank you, David. Indeed, it is a joy to be with you today in worship on this 100th year of the church's life. Our scripture comes from John's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 4 through 14. One day, Jesus was walking through Samaria. He came to the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was located there. Tired from his journey, Jesus sat down by the well. His disciples went into town to buy food. At about the sixth hour, a Samaritan woman appeared at the well. Jesus asked her, will you get me a drink? The Samaritan woman said, but I am a Samaritan and you are a Jew. You can't ask me for a drink of water. You know, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And Jesus said to her, If you knew who it was who asked you for a drink of water, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The Samaritan woman said to him, But sir, this well is deep, and you have nothing to draw with. Where can you get this living water? Jesus said, Anyone who drinks from this water will go thirsty again. But anyone who drinks from the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I no longer live in Texas, but I still do follow Texas football. If you've been following along with the Dallas Cowboy training camp here in town, you know that a controversy developed over whether or not veteran players should ask younger rookies for help carrying their shoulder pads. I don't know how you feel about that. I'll let you decide. But in reading about those stories, I remembered some of my own rookie years in ministry here at Alamo Heights. And what you may not know is that when summer interns arrive here, they are given a very important task which is kind of like a litmus test, if you will, as to whether or not the intern is really going to make it in ministry. The pastor asks the summer intern to feed his cat while on vacation. So I obliged to this, and I did a great job the first couple days of uh, changing the litter and feeding the pastor's cat. And then for a few days, I noticed the cat didn't eat, and it got to be about three days, and then it hit me. I lost pastor's cat. I'm looking for Chloe all over the house. I can't find her. I call an emergency number in pastor's family, and he tells me that cats can survive out in the wild for at least four days without food and water. But then it got to be day number five, and I'm thinking to myself, I have really blown it. I've lost Chloe. And so I'm up late at night worried looking at cats on eBay. I thought, you know, maybe I could just buy a look alike cat, throw it into the home, and Pastor may or may not know the difference. But thankfully, I ended up finding the cat and have been successful in ministry ever since. No matter what profession you're part of, I bet you can remember a time when someone asked you to carry their shoulder pads or to feed a cat. But I bet you can also recall a time in your life when someone you really respected and admired asked for your help with something special. Maybe you watched your mom and dad do something they were good at and passionate about for many years, and one day they asked for your help with it. I remember the day when my grandfather, who I knew to be a spiritual giant, asked me for help in reading scripture at my grandmother's funeral. And I remember feeling this incredible sense of value. Pastor and scholar Ray Vanderland once said this, he said, One of the best ways we can give another person value is to ask him or her for help. Do you think Jesus knew that? I do. We turn to our scripture today at a moment in Jesus' life when he gives a woman value by asking her for help. It's been a long, hot day in Samaria, and Jesus stops by the side of a well soon a Samaritan woman appears. And this Samaritan woman, if you don't know much about Bible history, uh, typically Samaritans don't get along very well with people like Jesus, observant Jews. And to make matters worse, not only is this woman a Samaritan, she is a Samaritan who's had a number of different not-so-holy relationships with other men. And so what happens at this well really is quite shocking. Jesus turns to the woman and asks her for help. Will you get me a drink of water? The woman looks at Jesus and says, but you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. You can't ask me for a drink. The woman knew quite well that if Jesus were to handle a jar touched by a Samaritan, then he would have been considered ceremonially unclean, uh, dirty, having touched something handled by a Samaritan. But Jesus said If you knew who it was who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. For everyone who drinks from this well will go thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the well I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give you will become in you a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. As if to say, the reason why I asked you for help, the reason why I asked you for a drink of water is because I want to give your life value. That's the message at the well. Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, you are valuable. But you can tell from their conversation that this is not an easy message for the Samaritan woman to swallow. Perhaps because the woman had been looking for her value in some of the wells that existed in her world. You ever done that? You ever gone looking for your value in the wrong well? Perhaps the well of materialism. You make believe that your value in life is somehow attached to the car you drive or to the job you have or to the clothes you wear. I know Pastor David has told you before that in a recent poll conducted by Cosmopolitan magazine, a large percentage of Americans would give up one year of their life for the perfect figure. What that tells me is that Hollywood and the shopping mall do a very good job of telling people what makes them valuable. You ever drank from the well of materialism? Or what about the well of numerical value? The great theologian Frederick Buechner once said that nothing worth doing in this life can ever be counted. And yet so often we make believe that our value is attached to to a number, to the number on a paycheck or to the number at the bottom of a 401k or to a grade point average or some other hollow statistic. You ever drank from the well of numerical value? I know I have. Or what about the well of performance value? Outdo, outsell, outrun, outpace. It's about like the story preacher Fred Craddock tells of the greyhound racing dog? If you've ever been to a greyhound race like the uh, stadium they have up on I-35, you know that they get dogs to chase a mechanical rabbit around the ring. And what happens is when dogs are done racing, the owners typically put a little ad in the paper to see if anyone wants to adopt one of these beautiful spotted greyhounds. Legend has it that one day a man adopted one of the spotted greyhounds, brought him home and he asked the dog in his living room, do you miss the glitter and excitement of the track? And the dog said, no, not really. And the man said, well, why did you quit racing? Did you get injured? And the dog said, no, I still have some race in me. Said, so, did you get too old? And the dog said, no, I can still do it. The man said, did you make enough money for your owner? And the dog said, I made over a million dollars for my owner. Then why was it? Asked the man, why would you quit? Finally, the dog said, I realized that what I was chasing wasn't really a rabbit. And so I quit. All the running and running and running and running. And what was I chasing? It wasn't even real. You ever chased for your value in something that just wasn't real? The well of materialism, the well of numbers, the well of performance, these wells do not satisfy our thirst. That's really the hope of our scripture today. Here you have a woman who in the eyes of her world really wasn't very valuable. In fact, she's got three strikes against her. For one, at least in biblical times, she's the wrong gender. Second, she's the wrong race. She's a Samaritan. And third, she's had a pretty rough past of broken relationships and broken dreams. And Jesus turns to this disreputable woman of all people and asks her for help. Scandalous. Jesus offers her a value that the wells in her world could not provide. In response to this scripture, I think you and I have to be willing to do two things. And the first is this, we have to receive the same kind of value that the Samaritan woman received from Jesus at the well. For the value Jesus offers to our lives cannot be competed for, achieved, or bought. It must be received. For the woman at the well didn't have the right clothes or the right friends or the right neighborhood or the right paycheck, but she did have the right God. A God who says you're not worth a million dollars or ten million or a hundred million, you're worth my life. As Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, when did Christ die for us? While we were yet still sinners. Friends, that is what brings our life value, nothing else. The world whispers in our ear, prove that you are worthwhile. Do something relevant or important or spectacular and then you will earn the love you so desire. But Jesus says, no, you're valuable just by showing up at the well. Perhaps you've heard the story that Pastor John Ortberg tells about Don Shula. For those of you who don't know who Don Shula is, he is the former coach of the Miami Dolphins, won a Super Bowl with the Dolphins. Uh, what Mac Brown is to, is to Austin. Shula is to, to South Florida. Uh, he's a legendary figure. And one day, Don Shula walked into a neighborhood movie theater and everyone in the theater began to clap. And so Shula, like most public figures, had kind of a canned thank you. You know, he told everyone in the theater, without you I would have never been able to win a championship and you all are the best fans. And the one man in the back of the theater put down his popcorn and began to laugh. He said, actually, it's dark in here. We had no idea you were Don Shula. You see, they told us we needed at least ten people in the theater before they would start the movie, and you were number (laughs) ten. Shula said it felt pretty good to be valued, not by what he achieved or anything he did, but simply just for walking into the room, just for showing up at the well. What would it be like to be loved and valued and respected just for walking in to the room? I think you and I have to be willing to receive that kind of value from Jesus. And then second, I think also that you and I have to be willing to help others discover their own god-given value pastor uh, henry nowen once said that there are two kinds of love in this world there is a love that chases value it sees something that is attractive and winsome and then chases after it and then there is a love that creates value a love that makes another person valuable this is the kind of love jesus had for the samaritan woman a love not contingent upon numbers or performance But a love that made her valuable just for showing up at the well. I mention this because I think it is something that this church has done a very good job of over the past 100 years. For example, I think about my life and I think about the time when I arrived here at Alamo Heights in the summer of 2004. And really and truly, I just kind of showed up at the well. I think of all I didn't have. I was 23 years old. I had never worshipped in a Methodist church in my life. I'd only preached two sermons. Hadn't even been to Texas before, which is culture shock altogether. And what you all did is you said, we're going to help this person discover his God-given value. And you encouraged me to preach from the heart. And you encouraged me to listen to God's voice. You encouraged me to think creatively about the kingdom of God. And perhaps most importantly you encouraged me to one day lead my own congregation. And in leading a church at present, I can look back on my rookie years of ministry here at Alamo Heights, and what is incredibly clear to me now is that what mattered the most about those rookie years was not so much that I learned what to do. Heck, leading a church in the year 2010, I still have no idea what to do. But I do know who to be. I do know who to be. And I owe that in large part to this congregation. Of course, I'm not the only one whom you've helped claim their value. There have been other pastors and other young people. I remember when I was here working with the Stephen minister. so many hurting people would just show up at the well and they would help them claim their value. I remember when Hurricane Katrina hit and so many folks came to the well on Bassey Road And you all help them claim their value. When the young children would come from the orphanage in Mexico, so many people would come and help them claim their value too at the well. And so my encouragement to you all in the next 100 years is simply keep doing that. Keep helping other people see and claim their God-given value. Maybe it starts today. Who do you know in your life who just shows up at the well? Is there a Samaritan woman in your life? Is there someone who you know who could benefit from the right kind of love? Is it a spouse? Is it a friend? Is it a neighbor? Is it someone who's hurting? Someone who's sick? Who deserves to be loved and celebrated just by their nature of walking into the room? I'll close with something that happened to me this past fall. My wife and I contribute every year to a scholarship where I went to college in the name of a person named Tommy. And Tommy is an older person with special needs, and he's been working in the college's athletic department for about 25 years, cleaning locker rooms and doing uh, the laundry. And the scholarship is, uh, goes to a student who shares some of Tommy's same qualities, you know, hardworking, uh, financially in need. And on the night in which the college unveiled the new scholarships, Uh, They had uh, the three people whom the scholarship had been named after uh, at the dinner. And as you might imagine, Tommy is more of a Samaritan, if you will. Uh, He's not the kind of person that you would expect to have a scholarship named in his honor. In fact, he was standing in between uh, a CFO for Bank of America and then a Ph.D. from Yale who had written six different books. And then there was Tommy in his Atlanta Braves cap, his jean shorts, and a smile that you could not have ripped off his face. What I didn't know is that Tommy's dad was a Presbyterian pastor. And a few nights after the dinner, he wrote us all an email and he said, I wanted to thank you all for my entire life. I have been telling Tommy and my parishioners that they are valuable not for being smart or being powerful or being anything else, but simply for being The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the prince of peace, Time magazine's most influential person in the history of mankind, the Messiah, the mighty one, the son of God, turns to an outcast Samaritan woman and asks her for help. Will you get me a drink of water?